From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 14, Nosferatu. <laughs> it's October here on the Spiel, and uh, couldn't be a better month to uh, get out some of our spookier games from the game closet. What, what gamers don't love October? <laughs> I mean, there's so many cool horror-themed games out there that yep. <laughs> you can play them any time of the year that you want, but in October, it's awesome <laughs> to play these games. Welcome to the Spiel. Um, my name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. And we are going to take you on a tour of some vampire themed games in this episode um i think they're they're all pretty darn fun and interesting and i bet at least one of them is a game that not many people have on their <laughs> shelves to even bring out and there might be a good reason yeah, for it i'm amazed we have it on our shelves <laughs> <laughs> we have dave to blame for that <laughs> so um get your get your wooden stakes ready and your uh your garlic cloves at at the ready because uh we're headed off to to transylvania in fact, hey, I don't even know that you know this or not, but my grandfather is from Transylvania, so you just better be on your best behavior, mister. I'm wearing my garlic. I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> He's safe for now. <laughs> Game news and notes. First game up today for news and notes is uh, a game called Shogun. It's uh, co-published by Rio Grande and Queen Games. It was supposed to come out um, in last month in September, but it hasn't quite made it out yet. Um, it was designed by Dirk Hinn, who did Alhambra, Metro, and Timbuktu. All oh, pretty cool little awesome games. games yes. um, this is for three to five players ages 12 and up. This is kind of a reincarnation of a game that was put out in 2002 by Queen Games called Wallenstein. <laughs> which has got rave reviews ever since it came out. I know I've read online from several fairly high-up reviewers that they would consider this one of the best games ever. Wow. That's that's pretty a, high praise. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, as gamers, we don't like to say that about any game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to, to to hear that about a game, this has me <laughs> stoked. Um, the, the re-theming of this in the Japanese, like feudal Japan type of thing is really cool because I love that kind of scenario. Anything in set in Japan is cool as heck. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think the really neat thing about Wallenstein and also obviously about Shogun is that this is probably as close as the Europeans have ever gotten to making a war game. You know, a quote, unquote, classic. classic tile because this has a, shares um, a mechanic with Risk. You know, it's kind of like Risk esque except for it's a lot deeper it's got a whole bunch of european a uh, euro mechanics thrown in with it oh i didn't know that i didn't know it had that risk mechanic yeah, to it at all it, it looks really cool i've wanted it ever since the wallenstein came out but i just never got around to getting it have you played wallenstein because no, I, I haven't no. i guess we have to turn in our nerd badges now because we haven't played yeah, it but... exactly i've just heard so many <laughs> cool things and of 
Course. Wallenstein's out of print, though. Let me get yes, this straight. Absolutely. Okay, I, and I don't think that it was actually. I don't think there's ever been an English version. You oh, could buy the German okay, version okay. and get the translations, but this is the first English. Okay, I'm a little um, slow, but it's I, I'm understanding play. now. <laughs> so I'm stoked about this game game coming out, and of course, you know the bits horror in me. There, there's this. Look, there's this little component that looks like a dice tower. I think goober whore sounds better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but there's a there's a component that looks like a dice tower, but it's really not a dice tower. It's this really ingenious thing that you're going to be dropping your little wooden cubes into, and <laughs> some of the cubes fall through, but some of them get caught in there. Oh, and that's cool. In later turns, as other people drop cubes in, some of the cubes that were dropped in previously might be released now and let out. So, so it's kind of like a souped-up Castillo from huge, El Grande. Huge. I mean, totally <laughs> massive randomizer. You know, it, it just looks really cool. The board's awesome for both Wallenstein and Shogun. But obviously, since Shogun's the one that's coming out, um, can't wait to get it. Looking forward to this. Hopefully, it'll be out like in the next week or so. Oh, wow. And then I will be going and buying it. Yes. <laughs> you might look for that pretty soon on uh, another episode of The Spiel yeah, might from the sounds it, of it. Yeah, it might jump to the top of our 140 or whatever the heck it is. But Well, that's, that sounds awesome, and I did not know a lot of that extra info, so thanks for bringing that hey, to my cool. attention. <laughs> cool. So what you got over there? I've got um, not a game, but a website uh-huh. that I'd like to, to bring people's attention to, and especially since it shares a, a name in common with uh, our Oh, yeah? Our little website. So this website, no real affiliation between us and them, but it's called SpielDeal.net. Uh-huh. And um, this is a collection of board game deals from a wide variety of sources. It's kind of put together in a blog format so that it's uh, updated every day with new um, deals from a, a different sources of online retailers. Um, the site features an RSS feed, which... To, for the less tech-savvy out there, what that means is you can subscribe to the site and you'll get notices when new deals hit the site. So you don't have to constantly so be going out there looking. The content will come to you if you if you have an oh, RSS reader. Awesome. Um, a special clearance page is another feature that it has and a searchable archive. It's a fairly new site, so the list isn't as exhaustive as you might right. hope it would be. But even since it's been up, um, I've noticed improvements, and the coverage has expanded to a wider variety of online retailers. So, you know, they'll cover the fun again and the thought hammer sales and things like that. The That's thing that awesome. I find the most convenient is that it gives you sort of one-stop shopping. Right, exactly. If you're If you're in the market for a particular title, let's say that we mentioned, it would be a great thing to do to go to the spieldeal.net and be able to say, well, where can I get the best deal, you know, at least it, instead of having to surf to all these different places, I can go this to this one like spot. That price grabber of games exactly very ah. much very much so um so i would definitely check that out um especially since so many of these games are not necessarily as widely available you're already dealing with a smaller subset of right. retailers that will carry these kind of games you might as well try to find the best you know best bang for your buck so oh, heck yeah i think that's awesome because like if fun again or thought hammer has some really neat sale it'd be awesome to subscribe Mm-hmm. And find out about the sale as soon as it hits, right? Because I know you and I, we always find out about them, but we're usually a day late, yeah, or something, you know, <laughs> in a game short, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's my news and notes for this week. Check out um, thespieldeal.net. Awesome. The list. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection. 
Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So, we are on to the blood-sucking section of the spiel this evening. Our two vampire games for tonight. <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, at least one of these is going to be a game that a lot of people won't have have encountered before. But before we get to that one, <laughs> um, we thought we'd throw a, a Euro-style vampire game at you first. Cool. And that game is Dawn Under, which uh, the German title of Dawn Under is Dick Luft in der Gruft. Uh, we're not really sure what the uh, translation in German is. It came out when we tried Babelfish as thickens the air in the gruft, <laughs> which I'm guessing is not correct. That sounds like a great title to me. <laughs> so if anybody out there knows the translation, we'd love to know. Uh, send your emails our way at steven at thespiel.net or dave at thespiel.net. But first, the gory details. <laughs> uh, so 2004, the game was published. Norbert... Prina, I may be butchering his name as well, um, is the designer. Rio Grande Games is the publisher. Two to six players, ages six and up. You can find it online for $30, which is well below the, the suggested retail price. Oh, yeah. Great deal at that price if you are interested in the game after listening to us yammer on about it. <laughs> Definitely worth worth the $30. Um, so later on, we're going to hunt some vampires, but but before we stake them down... We're going to give, try to give them a good day's sleep. So Dawn Under is a classic memory game with a Euro-style twist. Each player tries to guide a group of vampires into empty graves on the board. The problem is, these vampires are very particular about their color of coffin. They'll only bed down in colors that match their own. The heavy-duty, double-thick game board has recessed spaces for each grave. A coffin lid tile is placed over each grave to begin the game. Players choose a coffin lid on his or her turn and reveal the color hidden on the bottom of the lid. Vampire tokens are placed in a row in front of each player with the outer two vampire tokens on each end of the row flipped face up. If the coffin lid that is open matches the color of either, either of the outer vampires, the player may place that vampire into the grave. If the lid doesn't match, the turn ends and the next player selects a different grave. So each turn, players are faced with a board that looks essentially the same. Some graves may be empty, some may be full. Simple enough, right? Sounds pretty simple, right, Dave? Oh, yeah, <laughs> simple. That's exactly what I would call it. <laughs> well, here's where the Euro game influence comes in. Players have garlic tokens that they can play into the empty graves in hopes of using it later or blocking another player from putting a vampire into it. If another player selects that grave with your garlic, you get to give them one of your vampires. If you forget and select one of your own garlic tokens by, you know, accidentally flipping one of those other others, it's really bad. All the other players who are playing get to give you a vampire from their line of vampires that they're trying to get rid of. Um, <clears throat> if you select a grave that's just filled with a vampire, you get... A wooden stake, which is literally a, a wooden, wooden stake, stake. <laughs> which is awesome in the game. 
you basically get three strikes before you're out. The first one, you just get the stake. The second one, you just get the stake. The third one, you just get the stake. But if you ever get to a fourth one, where you flip over a fourth coffin and it has a vampire in it, then everybody gets to give you a vampire. Um, to make matters even more interesting, there are coffins that also have rats in them. So you can have empty coffins, you can have coffins that match the color and you can put things in. You can have coffins with vampires already in them or with garlic, but you can also have rats. Um, flipping a rat lid starts a plague of rats. Every adjacent grave to the rat can be opened one at a time with the plague person who starts the plague getting the first crack. So it's sort of a turn within a turn. It's kind of like a bonus round that right. you would get. Um, which, if it happens early in the game, is great because you know a lot of the places might You're be empty. empty right. But it's horrible late in the game because you you want to flip over another grave token, but you just know that there's going to be a a garlic <laughs> or somebody else's vampire in there. The first player basically to get rid of all of their vampire um, counters is the winner at the end, either by giving them away to the other players or by right. finding nice <laughs> resting places for them for the evening. So. There's the, the basic gist behind Dawn Under. It's sort of a memory game on, on crack. Yeah, <laughs> big time. <laughs> so, um, Dave, what, what are your, some of your first impressions? Uh, well, give me your thoughts. Well, we know that I have no memory. <laughs> so instantly, I just totally sucked at this game. Yeah, the Alzheimer's kicked in for <laughs> exactly. Dave about round two. <laughs> exactly. But this, this was, I'm not a huge fan of memory games. However, I really enjoyed playing this game. I thought that this was the mo my favorite memory game that I've ever played. Thematically, it was awesome. Just the few Euro-style mechanics that they threw in made it really cool. You know, even if you were Brainiac and could had this, you know, memory from hell and were guessing everything, there were still a lot of ways that you could, you know, basically not find things right. and end up having to take other people's... Right, um, vampires. I like the fact that you can give your vampires away if other people make mistakes. So <laughs> you don't necessarily have to be good at this memory right, game. Yeah. You just have to be not as bad as someone else yeah, in yeah. some cases. So if somebody else is really struggling and just keeps picking, you know, well, coffins where there are already vampires, you can end up going from having a. I think uh, there are sixty vampires total. So we were playing a three-player game, right. so we each had twenty, and I think I got down to twelve at one point. Simply by shoving my vampires yeah, to most everyone of them else. To me. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you had a nice line of black vampires <laughs> yeah. there for quite the, a while. The, cool, the really cool thing is that you know, in a, in a traditional memory game, you just you're flipping two things over, and going, "Hey, do they match?" The added thing with this one is you're flipping the one thing over, and first of all, are you remembering where that one thing is? And then, do you happen to coincidentally have a matching thing on either end of your vampire? you know, your line of vampires. So it's kind of that extra step, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe I didn't stress enough, too. When you flip over the, the coffin lid, everybody gets to see the color on the right. bottom of that that lid. So if you have good luck and, you know, if you have a green vampire, Dave, and you flip over the green thing, awesome. You get to put your green vampire in there. If yeah. you flip it over and it's a blue vampire, blue lid, and I have a blue vampire, I'm like, Yes, because I know there's a there's a free spot, but because of the garlic That's tokens, where the garlic comes in, right? You can say, well, you might know that there's a uh, blue token there, but I'm going to put my garlic in there. So, you know, by the time you remember, oh, where was that spot with the blue one in there? You may have forgotten that he put the blue gar or oh, your garlic, garlic in, in the there blue grave, in the blue right. grave, and then Dave's going to end up getting to give you one of his tokens instead of 
you getting get getting to get rid of one. Yeah, it was it was just crazy. So after all this, neither of us actually won. No, no, Francie, Francie absolutely just, stomped like, us into yeah, the ground, yeah. staked us through the staked heart, chopped our head off, the... <laughs> and washed our mouth out with garlic. <laughs> it was uh, absolutely a easy easy victory for her. The thing that cracks me up about this game is the ages were for six and up. <laughs> I couldn't even remember my own name when I was six, <laughs> let alone figure out. But I but I get what they're going. I mean, you get what they're going oh, for, absolutely. right? I mean, it, it's awesome to have a game that has that kind of complexity and depth, but yet when you boil it down to its most essential components, a six-year-old really could catch on yep. to this game because literally all it is is you look at your two-end vampires and their colors, and you're flipping over a thing, and if it matches, a six-year-old could certainly oh, yeah. catch on to that, and you could guide them through the other aspects I would, of the game. I would have game. died to have this game, no pun intended, when I was six. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did, there wasn't any remotely this cool of stuff out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth mentioning, too, that the, the quality of the components oh, are, are top-notch. The board itself is like... Chunky. It's chunky. like double. It's like a double thick, but I think it's even more than double thick, almost, than a normal European Rio Grande-style game. Um, and it has these nice little recesses that the... Um, your vampires little vampires are going to fit down right. into, and then the the uh, lids themselves are even really chunky. Right. Because I think we figured that out in the game. It's easy to kind of, if you bump the board, you don't want to accidentally get to see, oh, hey, there are vampires under there or not. <laughs> and because they're a little bit bigger and heavier, they're less likely to kind of get shoved right. around the board. You got the little wooden uh, sticks, which are your stakes, which are, are cool <laughs> as well. And I think the artwork is really luscious and colorful oh, and the, the they're look, very it's the, not even though it's a vampire game it's very cartoony cartoony and kid-like yeah. they're not you know there's no big pools of blood or anything i just need to get out my knife and whittle the ends of those stakes so they're nice and pointy <laughs> yeah that would be that would be cool and there's like little hidden things in the graves oh, each what? of the graves oh. one of the graves actually hidden inside it there's a copy of villa paletti uh, with all the little uh wooden Whacked out pieces from Villa Paletti, which I, I think that is was just the awesome. Touch. Yeah, that was all, that was great. <laughs> so uh, you know, just as an aesthetic, from an aesthetic point of view, um, I think it, it has passes I would, with high marks too. I would go out of my way to get this game if I had any children. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. would be because this is something that they would really enjoy to enjoy playing, and you can actually, as an adult, enjoy it too. And don't be surprised if you buy this for your kids. Is after you play it once with them. And they go to bed. Don't be surprised if you don't get this out for the rest of the dolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it was very fun. And like I said, thematically, especially at this time of year. You know, and you probably could use it as a drinking game. Not oh, that we yeah. would ever condone that. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, never. Never. Yeah, it could definitely, oh, you got my garlic again. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see that. So um, any any uh, dings you want to give it? Anything negative that we need to cover in terms of... I don't think so. Things for, that could for, be better about it? For what this game was trying to do, I think it succeeds 100%. You know, I mean, we I weren't looking for this to be the next El Grande. No. You know, so, I mean, I, I don't see any any weaknesses whatsoever. No, it's it, a great game. It is what it is. It knows yep. its limitations, and it yep. fulfills the promise that I think you get from looking at the box and, and opening it and reading the rules. It, it falls through on all of the promises that it makes to you. Bingo. So I would give, again, the, the first game on the list is Dawn Under, and I would definitely uh, be looking forward to playing this again, whether it's October or not, right? and uh, whether whether I was <laughs> in Transylvania or not. Cool. 
Okay, you think everybody's ready for the second game? <laughs> I don't know how they really can be ready for the <laughs> second game. I don't think we game. were ready for the second no, game. No, I certainly wasn't when you showed up at my house saying, Hey, look what I've got for you, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was one that it came to us via a huge discount <laughs> sale table that I found somewhere many years ago. <laughs> Serendipity brought this it, game into exactly. our lives. <laughs> the name of this game is Vampire Hunter the Game. Just kind of sounds meaty, doesn't it? Or maybe not. Okay. Uh, it was published in 2002 by Milton Bradley and Hasbro. Unfortunately, it's uncredited, or fortunately, yeah. whichever way you want to look I at would it. Take, I would take, this guy should take, or gal should take credit for right. this. It was, um, it's for two to four players, ages nine and up, so this was kind of aimed at a younger audience also. Um, originally, the game listed for $25, but it's been out of print. Um, after we're done talking about this, if you do think that you're interested in it, I have seen a couple copies on eBay for between like five and ten bucks. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. gosh. I only found it like for retail at, at 30 Yeah, when I was looking. Wow, yeah, that's so, awesome. So go on and find it. Steven and I got it for the awesome bargain of $4. Woo! And uh, we couldn't pass it up. <laughs> the reason why we couldn't pass it up is because there was an open copy at the store that I found it in, so I got to kind of lift the lid, and there is a component in this that qualifies. This game could actually be on the goober list sometime. Oh, absolutely. Because it's got this, what do you say, like 10-inch tall... At least, yeah, yeah. Um, plastic, fairly hefty, medieval, medieval-looking tower yeah. thing that actually you put batteries in it. And it's got lights in it, which we'll all explain in a minute. But as soon as I saw that, that's I the just, centerpiece of the yeah, game. Exactly. In other I kind of just shoveled as many as I as many <laughs> of these as I could in a cart and gave them to all my friends. But uh, or they now hate me for <laughs> yeah. actually having friends it. or enemies. <laughs> exactly. So the basic premise of this game is that you are vampire hunters. And you are going to work your way through the graveyard, through the marshes, through the dining room, and finally into the crypt room where you're going to attempt to, you know, unearth Dracula and stake him through the heart. Actually, you have to do all three. Yep. You've got to give him the old sword trick, the stake <laughs> trick, and then dazzle or um, dangle the garlic in front of his nose. But you have to do this all before his ship, before he can get to his ship and it sets sails and he escapes. So kind of... In the beginning of a game, it's kind of like a cooperative thing. You all want to hurry up and get to him, mm -hmm. you know, so he can't escape. But once you all get to him, then it's going to be the the person to put the third whammy on him, the final blow. The, yeah, exactly, because you have to you have to get him with all three of those weapons, and the person who does the third one. Basically, the game is just a simple roll and move game, mm -hmm. except for the awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome mechanic, the the neat little twist that's thrown into here. That tower that we're telling you about has a switch on it. The switch, there's a little light inside, and the switch changes the light from red to blue. And blue designates nighttime, and blue or red designates um, daytime. daytime. And the board and all the cards and the dice and the little chits and tokens that are all scattered out on the board are all keyed to um, what time of day it is. What time of day it is. If you you play this game, if I didn't say this before, I should have. You're, yes. you're playing this game completely in the dark, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it's daytime, you just hit the little thing. The red light comes on, and now all the board elements that were are now visible because it's red because they were done in blue, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, the... They were done in blue. So as soon as you hit the 
the red light, all that stuff just pops out. Little secret passages open up. Text on the board. Text on the board comes to life. The die, the the movement die that you're rolling has certain <laughs> movements numbers. available. Exactly, whether it's day or night. Then you flip it again, and all of a sudden it's night. Now, all of a sudden... The board just transforms, literally, before your eyes. Yeah, just bingo. And it's just really cool. Probably, (laughs) I mean, this is probably something that's been around for how many years? Yeah. You know, people are doing special effects and that kind of thing. (laughs) It's such a cheap parlor trick, but man, is it effective. (laughs) Exactly. It's just really cool. The bummer is, unfortunately, that (laughs) we wish this kind of really cool mechanic you know, would have been used in a in a really neat game. Yeah. Tie this gimmick up with Ex- with cool mechanics instead exactly. of just a roll and move. Thematically it was a perfect way to use it. Oh ob- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean you don't get any better. And we, we had a blast when we were playing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then I think we, we spent more time probably be dis- discussing how this red and blue light could be used in in our own kind of <laughs> yeah. strange ways instead of just playing the game. We started making up our own games or seeing the potential, yeah. the untapped potential in using this red blue red light blue light thing for, you know, another you know, European style game and you may you may see something from Conway yes. Colson Productions exactly. sometime down the line cuz it seems like that's that would be a to use that gimmick not just as the gimmick cuz that's basically the game. I mean, right. you're getting it because yeah. it's got this cool red light blue light thing. Right. The mechanic itself, you know, it definitely is going to appeal to oh, younger kids. Kids are going to eat it up. But I mean, as an adult, I mean, we're both just sort of overgrown kids, so exactly. you can totally get into the spirit of it. And because I, what I didn't realize before we sat down to play um, was the co-op aspect right. to it is that um, when it is day, on most of the day cards, when you flip, because you flip each turn to see, is it night or is it day? And sometimes it may stay blue light, you know, where it's night for a while, and then it may be day for a while. But for every day card, almost every one you flip yeah. over, the ship is going to move forward one, heck, by like maybe turn eight or nine, the ship was only like two three spaces, spaces away yeah. from us absolutely losing, losing the game. So right. there is, a, I thought the drama, the sort of tension built into the exactly. way that mechanic work was actually pretty well thought out because it definitely, you know, oh, I'll, okay, I'll go up and fight that werewolf because even if he kicks my butt, it'll it, maybe it'll clear a path for right. you so that you can sneak through and get into the dining room. So I thought that there there was some thought it wasn't you know quite as maybe mindless as as we've right. let on but they still they could have taken it several notches up without making it inaccessible to kids right and exactly. still make it really really right. fun for adults as well um you can tell they probably just pitched the whole red light blue light thing and that, then exactly and Somebody then they came, stopped yeah. there with the whole idea behind the game <laughs> It has so much, so much potential. Because mm-hmm. the one thing is, this board is static. It's just yes. a game board, and so the um, there are traps on the board that only appear only appear at night, and then those traps goes away, and they become and they're secret passages during the day. But obviously, you know, anybody that's more than four years old is instantly going to remember where all that stuff yeah, is. Don't go that way because there's a trap. And you're never going to go there. <laughs> That's where in, if you were to use this same mechanic in some type of random board where it's different every single time, all of a sudden that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if all the if all the parts of the room were tiles rather than being a static board. Exactly. Then, you know, oh, is that a trap? Is that a door? Um it wouldn't take much to push it to that that next level, right? But 
Um, it, it's pretty easy to tell, by the way. We're we're already talking about other <laughs> things we can do with this red light, blue light, and yeah. kind of staying away from the game. So <laughs> that's probably a good idea of what we thought about it. Yeah, know? yeah. The components, I think, are worth you know stressing again. You have little oh. plastic figurines that are each individual. Yeah. Um, they're all sort of done. Um, Indiana Jones style, you know, they're right. all kind of 1920s adventurer style. You know, they look like they could have walked out of Bram Stoker's Dracula, oh, time. basically. Um, but uh, I thought it was even ingenious that they thought to make the bases a different shape because so it is, can... I mean, there is sort of a migraine-inducing quality to this game <laughs> after you've been squinting exactly. in the light for a while that you're like, oh, thank God my character has a hexagon base, so I know which one it is, <laughs> you know, to move. Um but they didn't cheap out on the components, I thought. No. Pretty high marks for, for especially like a Hasbro, uh, is right. it Hasbro or Milton Bradley? I've forgotten already. It, it was, was Milton, Milton Bradley. Milton Bradley. Hasbro. Oh, okay. It was after Hasbro <laughs> had already bought Milton Bradley. So. <laughs> the Borg had assimilated <laughs> them. Um, but a lot of times these kids' games, the components are really crap. And exactly. they didn't cheap out on the components at all. So, uh, you know, they, they deserve some praise for that. Um this is one of those ones, you know, if you've got a spare five bucks, if you can go on eBay oh, and get yeah. just the tower alone is absolutely worth the five dollars. If you're somebody who's collecting games, you know, this is one that probably wasn't out very long. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. at all. <laughs> and if you could snag it up if the shipping wasn't horrible, I would I would definitely jump on this. Your your kids if you have kids, they will eat it up. In fact you'll be ready to kill them because they're probably wanting to play it every yeah, night. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the perfect time of year for it too. Oh and, sure. And I can see getting this out every oh, Halloween now. Oh, I mean absolutely. we'll have a Halloween party or something and you pull out all the Halloween themed oh, games. Yeah. And how awesome would that I mean, be? I mean, how many games do you get to purposely play in the dark? Mm -hmm. And can't you see everybody having their little flashlight under their chin? <laughs> yeah. I mean it was just too fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but not not a great not a great game, but a, enough good things about this that yeah. it's worth giving yeah. a shot. I would, uh, I would definitely look forward to pulling it out every Halloween. Not sure outside of that, but right, exactly. If, well, we definitely will be using the tower for other purposes. Yeah, I mean that for that alone, <laughs> it would be cool. You know, even if you just chuck the game and put that tower out. Yep. Um, definitely worth worth it if you can find it for a deal i wouldn't i don't think i'd pay 30 dollars for it if you were going to pay retail nope it, not not worth your time but troll the bargain bin and, and pick it up if you can <laughs> so awesome. vampire hunter yeah i i would give it you know we're i think between vampire hunter and dawn under we're we're doing pretty well for our our uh, yeah this was <laughs> this was kind of our light Halloween, horror Halloween yeah. theme, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure we'll continue on this theme for the next episode since, since we'll we're still be in October. October. We'll have some of the more sort of hardcore, scarier, uh, hardcore games. Hopefully, in the, we'll get the next a one. little more bloody. Yeah, you know there wasn't any blood tonight. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, gotta have blood. Undead. You know you can't. You shouldn't be nice no. to the undead. There's got to be innards <laughs> hanging out of something. You know. <laughs> so look forward to that in in coming coming weeks. Backshelf Spotlight These games need some love, and we're going to give it to them. The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start.
So before we get to this week's uh, Backshelf Spotlight Games, we have a little bookkeeping to do. We have our weekly or episodely uh, <laughs> connections that we need to uh, definitely address address before we go on. So last week's uh, game connections were between Web of Power and Ticket to Ride. And I am pleased as punch to report uh, that we actually had some winners. Um Wow. So congratulations are due out to Robin in Great Britain, Patrick in Sweden, and Dave in the United States. There aren't any prizes yet. It's just bragging rights, but very soon, I promise. In fact, I'm going to even tease you a little bit. The, fabu the, the fabulous prizes that are going to be coming in just a few weeks, they're going to be limited editions, and you can use them when you play games. So... Sorry to those winners, you're you're out of luck, but if you enter again this week, remember there's always going to be connections between the games, so after we go through um, and explain what the connection was, keep in mind that there are going to be two connections, and the connection's always going to be a little left of center. It's not going to be something obvious. Because we're just because, left of center. Yeah, that's just how we, how we, how we fly. <laughs> so, on to the connection. So, the connection between Web of Power and Ticket to Ride. Although there were many... Obvious mechanical connections. Um, the two correct answer. There were two correct answers this week. Uh, the first of which is both games have English titles that are not direct translations of their German titles. So Web of Power is Cardinal and König, or Cardinal and King, King in German, and Ticket to Ride is Zugum Zug, Zug, which is step, step by step, step in English. So that's connection one, and that was actually the most popular. And that's actually that's the only one that the three got right. Right, yeah. Because the other one is, <laughs> I think, very simple yeah. and very obvious, given the theme yeah. of the last of that particular podcast. Yeah. So you want to explain what the the other theme? <laughs> it was pretty simple. Each game had a free expansion from them that you could get from the publisher. So um, so Ticket to Ride came with Mystery Train, which was a free little card expansion, and Web of Power came with the Vatican, which was kind of like a cool little way to score that you could get with that. They were both free expansions, <laughs> and I thought since we made Here such we a, with a the huge big deal of the Expandomatic, <laughs> that they would just people would be on top of us, and we didn't have one person. <laughs> Shocking. Um, they're probably like, you guys are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel the, the anger building through right, the microphone. But, but three people that got the um, German game, the translation not being, you know, an exact translation. That's awesome. Yeah, we thought that was going to be the one. Oh, no one will get that. And boy, were we wrong. There and there was, there, was a, there was obviously several other people who sent us emails, too, that had um, great connections. Oh, yeah, really cool guesses, right yeah. Um, we had an email um, from Nathan, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, his was that they, um, they both kept score by using a track around the edge of the board, which they both do. There's a lot of games that do. Um, and then we also got an email from Robert in Seattle, and he had a great mechanic connection that both games used card drafting from a pool of face-up cards, which they both, in fact, do. Absolutely do, yep. So yep. Valid connections, just, yep. just not thinking... Along that tangent line out from yeah. the, before the game. You, before you try and figure this out, just hit yourself over the head with something. Yeah. And then you'll kind of be lining yourself up with the <laughs> sick and Our point of way. view. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so congratulations to the winners. Yeah, awesome. Good tries for those who didn't quite hit the mark. We hope you'll uh, you'll enter again with the next episode. Send those emails out to stephen at thespiel.net. 
or Dave at thespiel.net. And of course, our website is thespiel.net. <laughs> so, now that that's out of the way, on to on this to week's Backshelf Spotlight. <laughs> and I think we've got a couple, at least one awesome game, and one game that I guarantee most of you have never heard of. <laughs> or haven't played for or, it, it, <laughs> many it, moons. It, exactly. <laughs> so the first game tonight is Formula Day. It's barely 10 years old, but I consider it a classic. It was published in 1997 by Eurogames and Descartes Editor. It's for 2-10 to 10 players, ages 12 and up. It was designed by Laurent Laver and Eric Randall. I'm sure I messed that one up, but... <laughs> um, it did list for 40 bucks. Unfortunately, it's currently out of print. I have heard rumors that this is coming back. It's not it like is. it's been gone for a long time. It is. I'm almost but, positive it's coming back uh, late But I'm this looking, year. looking forward to that. If you can't wait, you can. I've seen this on eBay for like 30 bucks. Yeah. Something like this. I've um, seen pre-orders, actually, for the, for oh, the new cool. one. Oh, cool. They've got yeah, good 30, deal. 32 bucks. Good deal. And um, the cool of uh, this game has... This should have been in our expansion episode last time. <laughs> yeah. This has got like 33 or 35 expansions. It's yeah. crazy. Basically, this is just a Formula One racing game. It's a dice rolling game that has been taken to the next level by some really cool European style mechanics in a game. Um, the neat thing I think about this that is cool, obviously, I'm a dice addict. So <laughs> as soon as this came out, I had to have it. And for people who don't know, Formula Day translates to Formula Dice. <laughs> Which is really cool. Or yeah. Formula Die. Yeah. Not sure if it's singular or plural. I, um, I don't know for sure, but, so I won't say. <laughs> but that's that's very cool. Um, basically, the board is a real Formula One track. When you get the original game, it's a double-sided board, and it comes with, I think, Monaco and... who oh, crap. Uh, it's the Zandavort yeah. Part 1. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're real Formula... Um, one tracks, and with the exception of one, I believe all 35 of the tracks are modeled after They're real absolute, Formula yeah. One tracks around the world. Yes, that and are used on the circuit. Exactly, yeah. and so those are really cool mm -hmm. because each the, the cool thing to mention about the boards is they are so over the top and colorful. Mm -hmm. They just went zany when they did when they <laughs> did these boards, like if like the ones for America. The ones that are in the United yeah, States. Yeah, the California the, one is exactly you know. the the surfer dudes. They take the stereotypical <laughs> sort of things, caricatures, yeah, exactly from those countries, and they just blow them over the top. <laughs> and so the boards are really fun to look at, in addition to the tracks themselves. Mm -hmm. But um, so basically, each each board is just a track. You've got this little Formula One car. You're all lining up on the on the starting line. And the, the object of the game is just to get around the track and be the first one to finish, like in any race. Um, there's a, tons of options in this game. You can play one-lap races. You can play two-lap races. You can play three-lap. You can construct your car. Exactly. You can um, either just take the car just as it is, or you can, like, trick it out, you know, and say, well, you know, I, I know the kind of style that I drive, so I'm going to need extra I'm tires. Or... You know, I'm going to, I need, really need lots of tires and all kinds of stuff. Um, and how that translates into the game mechanic is you have a little sort of activity board in front of you, right. which represents your car and has little boxes that represent the number of tires, tires. that you can expend or brakes or gas or engine, engine or body, body points. points. Right. Um, and the more points, there are set ones that come with the game, but you, there's also a customizable part where you can say, I've got a certain number of boxes and I can allocate them however I choose. Exactly. It's it's really cool. Then, the, basically, 
on each turn, all you're doing is basically you're deciding which everybody starts off first in first gear. And there are there's six different dice. Each die is for a specific gear. And so as you go up in gears, you'll actually roll a different die. And each die, as you get higher, they're weighted to have um, larger values on them. So in first gear, you're only going to roll a one or a two. You get up to six gear, you have a potential of rolling up to thirty. <laughs> you know, which is just crazy. But um, it's not a true. It's not a one no, through no, it's thirty. Not one through thirty. It's only 20, 20, 21. 21 through thirty. You know, whereas in first gear, you can only roll a one or a two. So there's there's special dice that are weighted specifically for the gear that you're in. Mm-hmm. But on your turn, at the start of your turn, you have a simple decision to make. Um, what Am I going to stay in the current gear that I'm in, or am I going to go up a gear, or am I going to drop down a gear? And the reason why that's important, obviously in racing, you want to be going as fast as you can, but there's curves and turns. You obviously <laughs> can't just fly as fast as you yeah. can through the turn. So the way that this game tries to mimic real-life racing is that in every corner there's a little flag with a number on it. And that flag tells you how many times that you have to end your turn in Mm. that turn. Um, So if you're in fifth gear just flying and you're coming up to a turn that says you have to stop twice twice in this turn, you obviously can't stay (laughs) in fifth gear. So you need to slow down and time out your move so that you can... You know, pretend like you're having to break and go through this right. turn and then come out of the turn and speed back up. And I think it's just a, a it's genius, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant system for mimicking racing. I mean, it, yeah. you feel like you have to do exactly what a real driver would need to do. It seems almost as much a simulation on some level as it right. does a game. And that's not meant as an insult at no, all. No, no. But it really does. And this is coming from a person who has you know almost no interest in like car racing at all. But I actually find myself becoming more interested. Um, the few races I've gone to, I'm like, oh, I can see how it trains. So I go the the flip verse. You know, right. I'm looking at a, an actual car race and going, oh, it's just like in Formula Day, where you know, oh, you can't be in fifth gear because the other cool thing about the little flags that tell you the stops on the corners is it gives you the longest path, the number of spaces, and the shortest path. So if you come up in fifth gear, when you know you can roll a twenty, and you can see clearly, well, they're only 14 spaces through that corner well gosh i have to drop down to third gear then because I, the maximum i can roll is an eight so it at least gives me a chance to right. you know make it through that corner without my car being a big fireball <laughs> as, as i recall though you're you're a fireball specialist i am you know <laughs> if your car doesn't have its hubcaps you know <laughs> off by the first turn you know you're not really driving i think yeah my car is usually like the brady mobile i like to trick out my station <laughs> yeah. wagon and hit the hit the track yeah <laughs> but that's that's kind of this game in a nutshell now there are advanced versions so you can just go crazy and insane, and you can involve all types of other elements to really make this game um, advanced. Right. You know, but the cool thing about this game is, at its basic level, it is awesome. Yes. You know, it, so you don't need anything else, but the other stuff is great. Yes, and you can play it with just the basic game. I mean, you wouldn't have to get all these other tracks, right. but the cool thing is the tracks, all the strategies in the corners and the turns you know, change from track to right. track. So that's, you know, if if it's something that you get and it appeals to you, it's great because it really does change the game significantly right. to have these other tracks. And the other thing I you can't go without saying is it's for two to ten players. Yeah. How many games do you know that can scale from two to ten? And it is the same fun game. Absolutely. Whether you have two or ten, I think. 
Yep, and um, there's even there's even a travel version of this out called Formula Day Mini. <laughs> yep, <laughs> you know, and it's it's as fun as its regular thing. It's even unique in that the um, the tracks are only two lanes thick <laughs> on the Mini versus all the regular tracks yeah. are three lanes, and in some cases four lanes on tracks that include ovals. Right. In addition to the road courses, <laughs> like here in Indianapolis. Like here in Indianapolis, <laughs> exactly. Um, the reason why that this game made it on the back shelf spotlight this time is because it has a special place in our, in our hearts. hearts. Yes. <laughs> because we have an annual Formula Day tournament where we invite all of our friends, which we usually have a turnout from anywhere from 10 to 20 people at least. We've had 24, I think, is the maximum exactly. people. And we, Stephen and I, have come up with a very unique way to play Formula Day um, that is just a blast. It's absolutely nothing like it's meant to be played Yes. But it is so fun and so cool. We figure we would share quickly share this with you. Yeah. Do you want to kind of give them a quick overview? Well, the the main thing is that it will accommodate um, any number of people. It was that we tried to come up with a tournament format that would sort of lead to a final race that would be a a full regular game of Formula Day without us having. We've tried in the past to do you know a Formula Day tournament where you sit down and you play just several games of the regular game. And it it was fun, but it took too damn long. There's right. just no way around it. Um, and you know, if somebody got behind, it it basically put them out of the tournament early on in the the race. And it just wasn't nearly as much fun for everybody in the tournament. And so we our goal was to come up with a method of taking all comers. Didn't matter how many people showed up, we could always do this tournament, and we could race multiple races quickly. That would all lead up to a final, the final sort of denouement, the climax and the exactly. denouement, where you've got this the massive battle for the jeweled steering wheel <laughs> that we have as as the prize for first place, and the the beat up hubcap uh, <laughs> that are actual physical trophies yeah. that we've made from cars. We've taken yeah. a a steering wheel off an old, I think it was a Lumina, <laughs> and jewel bejeweled it with all sorts of of things, hundreds if not thousands of jewels. <laughs> And it's a co- much coveted uh, possession, oh, yes. you know. The person who wins it gets to keep it for a year, but it has to bring it back. And Dave, you got a hubcap and just a, beat a the gold, crap a gold out of it. Gold-plated hubcap from I don't know what car, <laughs> but it's also slightly coveted. <laughs> yes, I mean you. You almost are at a point where you don't care which one you end up with, but you want one of the trophies. It doesn't exactly. matter if you finish first or last. So I'll throw it back to you. Why don't you maybe describe the actual? mechanic a little bit that we came up with in terms of allowing people to play the way that we accommodate any number of players without any particular game lasting forever is that we use several boards at once and basically we have um, four players fit on each board so if we have 20 people show up we just lay five boards out and we know that there'll be four people on each of those five boards and we will do a race that's timed you're not necessarily going to finish an entire lap, but the time is random, and not everybody knows how long that time will be. Think musical chairs. Exactly. It's exactly like musical chairs. So we'll say, for example, that this race is going to be seven minutes. Nobody knows that. The timer is set to seven minutes, and we all start. <laughs> At the end of the seven minutes, beep, 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 the timer <laughs> goes off. No matter where you were, the game stops immediately. And if you are... If you were in first and second place on a board, you will move up to the next board, up one board. If you were third or fourth, You're you will move, move down. down one board. The whole idea of the evening is to work your way up to the number one board because if you can be there at the end of the night, 
than those are the four people that will actually get to race to compete for, for the-, <laughs> the number one spot. On the flip side of that, if unfortunately you have worked your way all the way down <laughs> to the fifth board by the end of the night, you will be racing or not racing for the smashed up hubcap. <laughs> so it's it's a really cool system. It works out. You can decide how long you want your evening to be, how short you want your evening to be, and it's just tons of fun. If you want more information on this, we can we'll give you all the gory details exactly. in in you know in spades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've done it so many years now. This was the ninth annual tournament. We just had it right. last weekend, and uh, for the tenth minute, uh, we'll we'll tenth tenth annual. We're gonna go crazy and and even more over the top. I think, and, and uh, we always have a fun way to to pick pole positions to start out with. We've right. done little radio control boats that everybody <laughs> had to do time trials with, and other things like that, and. It's just it shows how you can take a cool game that you know on its own it's awesome but we we wanted to share with you how you can take a classic game like this and develop an entire evening's entertainment right. out of you know an already great game and just by modifying it a little you can take any number of people you don't have to say oh well it only says 10 people and we have 12 people so we can't play that one right. here's a way to do it and you know and, and we got lucky with this one because it ends up being so much fun we have friends just going, now when is that tournament coming yeah. up? When is that? We've got to, we've got to do this. So. I'm sure we can invite Carol. I bet Carolyn will make the trip back from New York. Uh, oh, yeah, we've had several people travel from several states away just to... Just, just to, to participate exactly. in this tournament. So Formula Day, seek it out. It should be, if you're a game player at all, it should be on yourself. Don't let the fact that you're not a racing fan dissuade you from getting this game because it's just it's a must-have in my opinion. Absolutely. And now, an amazing segue. <laughs> how, can, how can these two ba- games possibly have a connection? <laughs> Hopefully you'll figure it out. Yeah. So the second game, much more brief description, we <laughs> promise, than the first game is Bermuda Triangle. This game was published in 1976. Uncredited designer, unfortunately, Milton Bradley. Shame on you for not crediting your designers. Exactly. Two to four players... <clears throat> Excuse me. Unfortunately, it's out of print. This could have easily been our pick for truckloads of goober this week. I think you'd agree with me, Dave. Absolutely. It's easy to think of the current board game renaissance as the be-all and end-all of innovation in game design and interesting components. But I would give you Bermuda Triangle as evidence <laughs> to the contrary. Although it's clearly designed with kids in mind, it has a wildly original game mechanic and component. A large hurricane piece with magnets which spin around the board sweeping up other players ships the game board depicts various caribbean ports each with a different commodity to buy and sell the object of the game is to guide your small fleet from port to port collecting the most money um, and successfully delivering your goods players take turns using a spinner to move their ships along preset shipping lanes Lanes that, of course, bring them perilously close to the whirling magnetic storm in the middle of the board. After each round, one player spins and determines which direction the hurricane will move. A grid of dots on the board help guide the storm to its proper spot, um, and then each round the real fun begins. The player who moves the storm then slowly rotates the storm a number of turns also determined by the spinner. This giant plastic hurricane disc will sweep over parts of the shipping lane, and if you're on the wrong spot, click, 
Your ship, also embedded with a magnet, will disappear under the storm. If you lose all your ships, you're out. The game continues until only one player has ships left or until a preset dollar amount is reached. Mechanically speaking, the game is not complicated, but the tension that builds as more and more ships are swallowed up by the storm is really enjoyable. I would be tempted to replace the spinner with a chart and a set of dice, but certainly don't let the spinner keep you from trying this innovative classic. I, you know, I remember this from my childhood. I have fond memories of this game, and it wasn't until as an adult that we came across this game at like a a goodwill or someone's like, oh, Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) That's such an awesome game. And I think, in fact, one of our friends found it at a, a thrift store and gave it to us because they thought, you know, it'd be kind of the kind of game that we would enjoy. I don't know whether it's a game you played when you were a kid or not, no, Dave. No, I am so glad you knew about it because I have never heard of it. You know, any a, a game of that era to, to you incorporate magnets, you know, it still has it, it has a lot in common with Vampire Hunter, I think, right. tonight, in that they found this gimmick and exactly. they tried to design a game around the gimmick. But here's a case where I think the gimmick even works better uh-huh. than in Vampire Hunter. I think, you know... Th- there's strate- There's a bit of strategy, yes. I mean, you're just spinning and moving, but trying to figure out wh- what side of the board the hurricane is on and right. whether it's going to go off the map mm-hmm. and reset. Oh, I'm gonna, am I going to try to move my ship around and get to that port before the hurricane gets me? There's a little bit of strategy in it. Of course, there's a lot of luck, but the fact that you've got this, the, the real fun <laughs> in the game is you know is controlling exactly. the hurricane and moving it around and hoping that you can... I've even seen it drop ships. If it gets too heavy... On one side with too many things, if it drops your ship back onto the shipping lane, you're like, you're you're, you're good to go. You can keep going with your ship again. Um, I would definitely, if you can find it in a Goodwill or online on eBay for a for a decent price, totally worth checking out. If in my this, opinion, this is one of those games again that is so mechanically thought provoking. I mean, it's just so neat mm-hmm. that you just can't help start to start talking about oh. Man, can you think of all these cool games that could use magnets like this? Yeah. It would just be awesome. It's just food for thought yeah, for anyone who's exactly. into into games. You can you can definitely see how you could tweak this game or even just take the ideas presented in this game and even come up with your own game separate from it. And thematically it was kind of fun cuz the mystique of the Bermuda Triangle kind of has a back seat. You really don't hear about it anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of fun, you know, getting that game out and oh, it's <laughs> sucking up the ships and the, you know that was just neat. Yep. Uh, so again, remember there's connections tonight between the two games, Formula Day okay. and Bermuda Triangle. So uh, write us on email with uh, your guesses, and very soon there'll be prizes. I can't guarantee next time, but very very soon there will be prizes. <laughs> again, it's Stephen at thespiel.net. And Dave at thespiel.net. And our website is thespiel.net. Truckloads of goober. What is goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff the goober in a game can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the goobermeisters have for us this week. So, 
for truckloads of goober this week, the the phrase that's sweeping the nation, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> we recently saw a thread on uh, Board Game Geek where people were, were kind enough to be talking about the spiel, and there were several people writing in saying that, hey, I, I'm starting to use truckloads of goober now when I talk about games, so... We, you all have one person to blame for it, and that's Dave Colson. <laughs> is, is it legal? Can you actually say truckloads of goober even if you have all your teeth? That... <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> do you have all your teeth? Luckily, I still do. <laughs> you know, you should trademark that puppy. <laughs> exactly. So, enough uh, silliness. Well, not really yeah. enough all the silliness, but um, the game for truckloads of goober this week... Uh, I'm so tempted to do this in the voice from the Count of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> the game is, I want to bite your finger. <laughs> this game was published in 1979. Charles Phillips and Charlie Light were the designers. Hasbro is the publisher. It's for two to four players. Unfortunately for the world, I want to bite your finger is out of print. Aww. So, it's a first, though, however, though, for Truckloads of Goober, for both of us here. This week's feature game is one that neither of us have actually owned, but I'm sure that will be remedied in good time. <laughs> How could an almost 30-year-old roll-and-move game for kids pass the Goober test, you might ask yourself? How many games do you know, however, with a giant vampire that can bite, leaving blood spots on your finger? <laughs> Okay, so the blood is actually red marker, and the actual game looks a little pointless. You roll and move the cans on a clock, and when the vampire opens his cape, you have to stick your finger in his mouth and press a tiny plunger mechanism. Sometimes the vampire bites, sometimes he doesn't. If you are marked with blood, you're sent back to the beginning start space and have to start all over again. However, this is an exact this is a great case for a game <laughs> where the extra miles spent on the components I think really make all the difference in the world. Heck yeah. The the tension and the social dynamics of the game are completely shaped by the bite test. In fact, that's really the whole essence of the game. Exactly. The roll roll move is just a, an excuse to get to put your finger in the vampire's <laughs> mouth. Um the game rules may bite worse than the actual <laughs> vampire. But I'm willing to bet that this game would come out of the closet every Halloween party if either of us had it. Oh yeah. You have to look if you don't if you're not listening to the enhanced podcast, obviously you're you're seeing the picture now of this, you know, I don't know, eight to ten inch it vampire. Uh, it's it seems really nice size. I would put it on par with the vampire hunter tower, tower that we were exactly. describing either. Um, go to the show notes and look. Um, we'll have a picture on our website or go to boardgamegeek.com and type in, I want to bite your finger. <laughs> you don't have to say it with the accent or type with the accent. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> but you'll see the picture of this wacky-ass game. Got the vampire with his mouth and you put your finger in there. I, I just can't go on enough about it. It's it's no. cool and I have to find a copy yeah, of this yeah. game. I know nothing about this game and as soon as I saw the picture... <laughs> I feel, I feel like I have to go on a mad, crazy, <laughs> insane shopping spree until I find it. I tried to describe this game over the phone to Dave, and he's like, what? What? No, no, that can't be it. I'm like, I'm telling you, go to Board Game Geek. You will see it. It's real. I'm not making this up. So look, check it out. You know, I'm not, I'm not making any promises about oh, the no. quality of the game, but to me, if you can find this game for a steal, how can you not have a game where you get bitten by a vampire? I mean, that's just too cool. Awesome. The Game Sommelier, or 
Right game, right crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called the Game Sommelier. Here's Stephen with this week's challenge. So, Dave, in case you don't remember, your challenge from last episode is you must find five games that are also meta games for people who hate to be bogged down by too many rules. People who will quit or grenade, pulling their own pin and ruining all of everyone else's fun who's playing the game. Cool. What do you got for me? Okay, well, I've, before we start, I figured we should help everybody understand maybe a little better <clears throat> what metagaming is. Yes. And there's lots of definitions out there. Um, probably the most commonly used and accepted in relationship to board games is that metagaming is using knowledge or actions outside of a game to influence an, an opponent's actions or inactions inside of a game. Um, that's kind of like the textbook um, definition. An example might be something silly like, you know, Stephen, if you join forces with me in this game, I'll take you out for breakfast tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's insane, but <laughs> it technically fits, you know, the definition. A more reasonable thing might be that if Stephen and Jason and I were all playing a game and we know how Jason is, I may say, Stephen, we know exactly what Jason is going to do. So before he gets a chance to do it, Let's gang up on him and take him out before he can act. Mm-hmm. That's using our knowledge from past games or other situations or of individuals and bringing that into a game situation and having it affect this game that we're playing right now. And that's always the right choice with Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, metagaming is probably more closely associated with role-playing or with online um, games or like the biggest board game that's associated with is diplomacy. There's a lot of metagaming there. Um I'm going to choose tonight to take metagaming, I think, one step farther or maybe one step backwards because I like another definition of metagaming other than that. And that is um, games, just just basically what Steven asked for in his challenge. And that's games with very few rules but that have a vast array of actions that are basically only limited to your creativity. You know, so simple rules, but all the game is going to take place in your mind and only limited to how creative you can be. So those are going to be the games that I picked tonight, and I'm going to hope that they fit into what Steven was asking for. So the first game that I picked tonight is an old game that is not even a game. (laughs) There's not a board. There's not pieces. There's nothing. (laughs) Okay, you got my interest peaked. Dictionary. (laughs) Um, There are several new versions of this. Balderdash came out in 1986. Wise and Otherwise came out in 1997. This game, there basically are no rules. You basically open up a dictionary, find a word. Whoever found the word is going to write the correct definition down on a little scrap of piece of paper. Everybody else is going to write a bogus definition down on a piece of paper. And all those definitions are going to go into a hat. And then you're going to basically draw them out, read them. When you write your definition, you're going to be trying to write something incredibly creative and something that will mislead everybody else into voting for your definition instead of voting for the correct definition. <laughs> what do you think? Insane? Well, no. given your definition, I, I don't mind how you've modified 
metagaming so much because I, I I like the idea. I don't like the textbook definition because I think it's too narrow. Right. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> mechanically speaking, it might not necessarily fit, but I think it fits the spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me, man. I'm losing my voice here. Too many vampires this exactly. evening. Uh, I uh, I guess I'll have to give it a, a thumbs up in that you're you're conforming to your own definition, which might be a little different than mine, but I do like the idea that the essence right. of metagaming is really the, the ability to work outside the rules, that the rules will accommodate creative and sort of out-of-the-box right. thinking. Um, and, I mean, that's that the, the essence of that game is all about that. So definitely... I'll give you a thumbs up. Cool. Okay, the next one is also maybe a stretch. Um, this one is Great Dal Moody. Came out in 1995. This is not an original game. People may know it as Scum, <laughs> President, Corporation, Asshole. It's also very similar to Frank Zoo and Teach You. But what I think makes this a metagame over what makes Great Dal Moody the metagame versus all the other versions of this is that... Um, the people at the head of the table are the great Dow Moody and the lesser Dow Moody, and the people at the bottom are peons, and you are completely free to make up all your own rules and goofy stuff. The, the Dow Moody can make the peon go get sodas for him. They can make him sit under the table and bark like a dog. You can just do <laughs> any insane rules. The rules for the game are very simple. You basically play a group of cards. The next person has to play a light group of cards with a higher or lower number, based on which game you're playing. Those are the rules. You're just trying to get rid of your cards. It's a crazy, zany game, which lets all kinds of things happen outside. There are no rules for right. doing these insane, crazy stunts. But every time you play them, you turn to these stunts. <clears throat> we, we even have people wearing hats. Yeah. Wearing oh, yeah. zany hats. and doing all have kind, silly hats. Doing all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> so, great download. I think this is less of a stretch than the first one in many respects, because... The rules, the rules are almost built to accommodate that kind of game. Uh, they they're meant to encourage that kind of uh, game within a game. I think because you have each of the players assuming these different roles and how that and that assuming that role can totally affect how you end up playing the rest of the game. Exactly. If you really get into playing the peon or whatever. Um, you may end up wanting to play the peon just because you enjoy doing that, or vice versa. It's more likely that you'll enjoy being the Dal Moody and want to, you know, want to have people shuffle the cards and bring you your sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> Give me a sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> and that sort of thing that that can really affect how you end up playing the game. Um, so to me, that that fits much more in my mind than the first one. I see where you're going with the dictionary but to me this this is spot this is, on okay cool you're you're on the target but this one is closer to the bullseye cool. we'll we'll see if um this third one's any closer or um the third game is grass it's a game that came out in 1980 which is a near copy of a game that came out in 1954 called Milborn. <laughs> the only difference basically is number one, there's two differences. One, the thematic, the obvious thematic <laughs> difference. And Dude. then number two, the mechanic that I think makes this the meta game. Um, just a little quick insight on grass. This is crazy, it's insane, it may not be for everybody, but each player is cast as a dope dealer, basically trying to stash away, you know, <laughs> a little bit of their weed or their pot of their marijuana. All the other players are trying to stop them, have them arrested, have them detained. <laughs> it's just a hilarious kind of thing. The mechanic that makes this a metagame is that on your turn, 
you are free to make any deal that you can possibly conjure up. There are no rules for this at, at all whatsoever. You can go, Stephen, I will give you this card. If you give me those two cards, play this card on him, promise not to do this to him, <laughs> and then I, in two turns I'll do this to you. <laughs> and I'll Plus, buy you McDonald's tomorrow. Exactly. Plus I'll give you this. <laughs> The, the sky is the limit. There are no rules. We have played this game, and it is insanity. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely perfect. I think that's you've hit the mark on that one. Cool. Absolutely perfect. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever <laughs> because it incorporates much of what you said. It incorporates the textbook sort of definition of right. metagame as well as the sort of creative aspect that, that I think needs to be incorporated into a, a broader definition. So, Cool. Man, I want to shoot you down. It's it's <laughs> oh. time for one of us to go down in a big Look, ball we'll, of flames. We'll, we'll see what you think about this one. <laughs> this next game is so broad in scope that we won't be able to talk about it very much. It's GIF. It came out in 1998. And I'm <clears> picking the game not because of the game, but because GIF is part of a project called the GIF Project, which we can't even possibly begin to describe to you but it allows you to incorporate five other games into this game. And every single game you can customize completely up to your creativity. There, there are no limits. I can't even guess as to the limits of this game. That's why I picked this because basically GIF has these series of potentials that come from each of the other five games that you can incorporate into the first game. So every single time you're kind of constructing the game from scratch. The game itself is simple. On your turn... They're all abstract, two-player abstract strategy games. They're all two-player abstract strategy games, exactly. GIF is, you basically take one piece from your pool of pieces, you slide it onto the board. If you line up five pieces, those pieces are removed. The um, winner, the victory conditions are simple. Either run your, other, run your opponent out of um, pieces or capture three of your opponent's GIF pieces. There are no other rules. It is simple. However... When you mix in being able, it's almost like a collectible card game. I mean, yeah. you can just bring in all these crazy zany things that I, won't conform to any of the rules, and the sky's the limit. Well, I, I have to shoot you down on this one, actually, but not for the reason that you think. I, I will not argue the fact that there, it's an awesome metagame in that you have this sort of game within a game within a game is sort of like an onion that you can sort of right, peel exactly. back the layers or i sort of think of gif as kind of the the black hole or you know the center <laughs> of gravity and all those other games sort of rotate right. around it and 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 are in conversation with each other in such an interesting way and it could be an ongoing thing so that's the positive part cool. but you miss the whole part about these people not being into the rules and things Anyone, if you tried to sit down and play a game of GIF with any of them, the minute they get to the potentials thing, poof, they're out of there, I think. There's no way. I think if you played GIF on its own, they could right. probably get it, and it wouldn't be too cumbersome. But because you have this, oh, now we've got to go over here and play Tamsk. Oh, and then if we play Tamsk, we might end up playing Devon yes, or things you're like absolutely that. absolutely right. That I, I don't think I did let the anybody, anybody who's, you know... If you get if you go back to the definition or the the challenge with the people that, that yeah, it doesn't apply, right. I think it applies as a meta game, but for the crowd that I defined, right? You're it, absolutely right. I get the, I, I did forget about that because that <laughs> does get a little zany. Yeah. So <laughs> boom, down, down, down. Dang. The thumb goes down. 
I don't know if I can go on. <laughs> well, you're still doing good. Three out of four ain't bad. <laughs> okay, well, this last one is kind of a gimme. <laughs> it's been around since 1904. <laughs> the game is Pit. It is the yeah. ultimate no-rule <laughs> metagame. You basically, all the cards are just different commodities. At the beginning of the game, you deal all the cards out. There are no rules except for that you are going to, in a mad trading frenzy, attempt to gather all of one co- one of those commodities. And basically, after all the cards are dealt out, it's just like, ready, go. And it's like, I'll give you two of these for three of these. No, can you give me four of these? I'll give you four of these. Hey, corn, I got corn, I got corn. You got flax. I got corn, you got that. And all of a sudden, when somebody has a set, they just, bam. They what the ring. hell is flax? Exactly. They ring the bell, the hand's over. It's just insanity, no rules. You're only limited by your create, you know, the creative trading skills yeah, that you have. You can wheel and deal. I mean, you can play it straight up as the rules, but I don't know anybody who plays that way. No. There's always a lot of underhanded dealings, and, Big time. <laughs> and somebody who always ends up with a damn bear or bull too many times <laughs> right, in the exactly. in the game. But yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that one. Yeah, that's as close to a, a gimme given our our understanding of meta gaming, which may not right. be other people's. Exactly, and that's you know um, a definite. You know, we'd love to hear from other people in terms of what they think. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, definitely. their definition yeah. of metagaming, because what we're describing may not be, you know, we it's certainly not the textbook. We've made that clear. But you may have other opinions on um, that subject, and right. we, we'd certainly Absolutely. like to hear from you all out there in terms of that stuff. So, hey, you know, four out of five That's not ain't bad. bad, you know. I mean, <laughs> you don't get to crown for the Game, game Somalia this week. You get the, the tiara. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. You don't have to wear the matching earrings, though. I was going to say, what color is the tiara? <laughs> as long as it's pink and crusted with... No, never mind. Okay. You think you're ready for your challenge? Oh, I am so ready. This challenge is in self-defense. <laughs> it's a challenge that I have to get you to do before you get me to do it. Oh, no. Because Crap. there is no way that I want to do this. Crap. Your challenge is to find five games that you can use... To teach basic or intermediate math concepts to elementary level students. <laughs> I don't want any part of this challenge. That's why it's coming your way, baby. Ooh, okay. So what, what, what I envision, I'll let you totally be creative. I'll give you an example and then you won't be able to use it. It's just, you know, if you were using, you know, addition, mm-hmm. you know, you can't pick anything that simple. Okay. But find something that would... So we're talking like middle school level math and up, or or you know, like elementary. I would say elementary. You know, I mean, I'll just leave that up to you. Okay. I'll I, I said elementary level, but I'll widen it up. And if you want to go up into middle school, then that's cool too. Okay. If you want to get a little more advanced, then you know, then actual division and percentages, and so I'll let you go wherever you want to go with. It. Okay. Okay. So, but five at, at least five games where they will have a good basic concept of of that particular math skill okay. by playing this game. Well, I think I can give that a shot. Cool. I, don't, I mean, nothing's coming to me right off the top <laughs> of my head, but I, ideas are forming, percolating. Well, I think we'll agree that most games have well, their basis in yeah, yeah. math and, I mean, somehow. You don't have to look further than Dr. Kinesia, who's a ex- exactly. you know, professor of mathematics, to see that, you know, in game theory, right, is a, you know, it's all... It's only, only a matter of time so. before this challenge was. Yeah, you're down. right. You're right. You <laughs> threw the gauntlet before I could better throw it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm up for it. I we'll give it a shot cool. here. 
Well, before we uh, put a lid on this episode, we've got a potential new segment that um, we've had some listeners write in and, and say that there's some interest in, and we thought we would troll the waters here and, and cool. te- test the waters, I guess is the word I'm looking for, and see uh, what kind of interest there there is for a mailbag segment. Cool. Um, we've had several requests from listeners. Um, obviously, we'll rely on all you out there to make this work, but, but hell, we're game if you well, are. Um, we'll call through our email between each episode, and if we find some juicy questions or comments or critiques or screw-ups or whatever exactly. it happens to be between episodes, we'll be sure to bring some of them to you. Our address, of course, is Stephen at net Or Dave at net And we'll just, you know, the gauntlet. We're throwing the gauntlet out to you now, exactly. and we'll see what happens. Um, we're more than happy to, to give you all some airtime if you come up with some interesting questions or comments. Um, we'll just, it may not be in every episode segment, but if we have stuff that we want, we think is worthy of bringing to you all, exactly. we'll throw it in there. I, we'll, I was, uh, I was surprised at the number of people who, who actually want this and were suggesting it. So yeah, I think there's, I think it's a, I think it's a neat thing. I think it's a great idea. And I think that we are already getting enough emails that we could certainly do something along those lines right. and, and get some really interesting uh, dialogue going. Um, along those same lines, before we go, I wanted to mention that we've added a new function to the, the Spiel website uh-huh. in that because we're getting emails from people all over the world, which is just so ultra cool, I have to say to all you out there, it's just awesome to hear from people all over the world and to know you're out there listening to us. Um, but I've put on a, a listener map via a website called Frapper. So if you go to thespiel.net, you'll see a little button there below each of the episode titles where you can hit listener map, and it'll take you to Frapper, and you can put a little push pin in the map and show where you are in the world if you're listening to the Spiel. I think it'd be awesome to just get a sense of who all is out there listening, and for it'd be a great way for people to connect with each other right. and say, "Hey, there's somebody down the street from me who's listening yeah, to I the think Spiel that's too." A great, I think this is really so. Neat. You'll see, uh, Dave hasn't even put his pushpin in there. So as of the recording of this episode, I'm the only pushpin <laughs> in there in Indianapolis. So um, I invite you to go out there, and we'll just see what happens. It'll be a running experiment, and we'll just see how many people we can get uh, cool. signed up on on our listener map. Um, that's neat. So I actually had one little thing I wanted oh, to add to okay. that That's I true. totally spaced until right now. Um, we found out about a, a problem with the earlier version of for iTunes. Um, if you are listening to our enhanced podcast, you may have noticed that in your little viewer window on your iPod, there is a line for each image, and is causing sometimes it's causing your iPod to booger up sometimes. Yeah. If you'll download the newest version of iTunes and the newest version of the software for your iPod, it fixes that, so you'll no longer have that problem with our enhanced podcast. So the only lines on the the little play track line will be the chapter breaks instead of, I get a little image crazy, and before all the images were showing up as like chapter breaks. So so if you were having that problem, it's just a simple (laughs) fix of just downloading the newest um, version of the software for your iPod. Thanks, Dave, for bringing that up because Dave's the iPod user and I'm the I'm the MP3 user, so it wasn't a problem that I had even, you know, I didn't I wasn't even aware it was a problem. I, I, but... Yeah, I thought it was just me. I thought it was just my problem until I actually saw that it was addressed and now fixed. Yeah, so that's great. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's time to put a lid on on episode 14 here. Thanks so much for all of you listening out there. We have fun doing it, and we hope you guys have oh, fun. Yeah listening to us because we're we're here for the the duration we're here for the long haul so without further ado that'll put an end to this episode so remember 
whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You, you just, just have, have to play. play.